0: Hello again. Good morning. Thanks for that. That was sweet. Um, I also just want to take a chance to honor. We have a, a leadership team. It's probably about 10 or so people. Um, the vast majority are not paid and they spend a lot of time in prayer and, um, just planning for us as a church. I was just thinking, um, I don't oversee a single volunteer, but we have a lot of volunteers. We have this amazing team who has put all this together and, um, Mike's off fixing wheels somewhere for our chairs, and it's just God has really blessed us with a, a, a really sweet team of leaders to help um, all of us, the body, to get moving and get uh, using our gifts. And so I just want to even um, I- exhort all of us: be asking the Lord if you are, n- are yet serving in some way. Be asking God how would He have you. Um, be serving, be contributing as a member of the body of Christ. You are a member. You have been gifted and crafted by God and placed here at this time. So um, let's just be asking the Lord, how, how may I um, contribute? Wh- wh- what does what the body need um, from me? So I'm just really thankful for all the Lord is doing in this young church. Um, also wanted to say happy 4th of July. Um, and really, there's there's nothing more profound that Christians can be doing on a day like today than to gather with citizens of heaven and to worship our king, the king of kings, and to remember where our true home is, that this world is not our home. Uh, we are citizens of a, of a nation, and we ought to be good citizens and to be praying and serving um, uh, our community. But, but we are citizens um, of, a, of another city, of another kingdom, and one that cannot be shaken. So praise God for that. There's nothing more profound we can do together than worship the king of kings. So um, what we're going to do now is hear from our king in John chapter 15. So John 15, it's a great, incredible chapter we get to study together. Again, this is uh, the, the upper room discourse. These are the, some of the parting words of Christ as he's just hours from the cross. These, these are the things that were on his heart for his disciples and for us Um, right before the cross. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then I'll, one more time, just ask the Spirit of God to bless um, our time together in His Word, and, and then we'll get into it. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, the title of this sermon is A Metaphor for Life. John 15, Christ says this, I am the true vine, And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So again, God, we thank you for your word, your living, active, inerrant, infallible, powerful, life-giving, life-sustaining word. And I thank you for the confidence that we can have in your word, in the Bible, that today we, as we study your word, we will hear from the living God and your word will be at work in us. So have your way in us. Help your word to dwell in us richly. Would your spirit apply it specifically to each person here, exactly how you would. You know our needs, you know our, our fears and our worries. You, knew th- you know those who have yet to believe in you and you know those who've been walking with you uh, for many, many years and, and you are able to apply your word perfectly to us. So have your way in us now, Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name and for his glory, we pray together, amen. Well, humanity by nature is lifeless. We, from the day we're born, are are physically living, but spiritually we are like a, a barren, dry vine. You've ever just walked up on an old plant that has no green on it, and you're thinking, why is this thing still here? That's a picture of every human soul. And everyone knows that, Regardless of uh, what religion or culture or time in history. And so, humanity has, has we, we spend our days looking for life, looking for nourishment, looking for something to support us. We, we, we're hungry in our souls, we're looking for life. We live in a culture that tells us that it sells us life. If you only had this, you would have life if you only had that. If you only went here. If you had a relationship like this, then you would have life. Yet God's word is crystal clear. Christ is clear that there is only one place to find life for your soul, and it's a person, and his name is Jesus. And as he is hours away from losing his life, from laying down his life, as as his Disciples are concerned, our, our leader, our Messiah is leaving us, what hope is there for us? He is, he's, he's preparing them Is John chapter 14 was an entire chapter of, of comfort for disciples of what life looks like when, when Jesus is not physically around and he's provided comfort and he said, I'm going to provide, a, I'm going to leave and provide a place, a home for you in heaven. And I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you to myself. But he said, until then, I'm going to send my own spirit into my people, and my spirit will be at work such in you that, that the Father and I will come make a home in you. That, that is what he has said in, in, in John chapter 14. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus, he's essentially saying the same thing, but he's doing so in, in a metaphor, in a parable. He, he's saying, it's like this. And he, he gives us the, the final I am statement in the gospel of John. He's given us seven, seven pictures or metaphors. I'm the bread of life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. He, he gives us the final statement. And the point is, yes, I'm gonna go prepare a home for you. And, and yes, my spirit is gonna come make our home in you. But now he's saying, I want you to think about how to find your home in me. What does it look like to, to find your life, your hope, your nourishment, your purpose, your home in me? I love Moses. Think about the life of Moses. He, he lived as a, um, what do you call it, as, a, as an exile of sorts. He, he was a Jew, but he, he was raised in another nation by a, another culture, and for 40 years, I mean, he, that's where he found his identity. That's where he was educated. That's what he understood. And, and then he, he went and lived for another 40 years off in the wilderness as a shepherd. And imagine what that would do for his identity. Man, so am I, am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Now I have, I'm living in this Moabite house in the wilderness. And then he spent another 40 years with the people of God wandering around. You know, where was the home for Moses and he was told one day is coming, a promised land, but Moses, sorry, you don't get to go. So Moses wrote in a a few different places in scripture, and it's one of my favorite statements. He says, God, you have been my dwelling place. I've lived in Egypt. I've lived in the wilderness over here. I've lived in the wilderness over there, but my home is Yahweh. God is my dwelling place, and Jesus is going to of flesh out for us, for his disciples first and now for us, what does it look like? What does it mean for us to find our home, our dwelling place in God? And we'll look at this text in three headings as we work through it. The, the first thing we're going to see is the, is the nature of life, verses 1 through 3. Then we're, we're going to see the call to life in verses 4 through 7. And then we're going to see the whole purpose. Where's this all going? What's it all for? In verse 8 so first we'll see the nature of life and Jesus lays out this is the way life is this is the picture of life in verses 1 through 3 so let's look at that again Jesus begins I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So he lays out this picture, this parable. And there's essentially three characters in this parable. You have the true vine, you have a vine dresser, and then you have branches. It's kind of three characters. You have a a true vine, a vine dresser, and branches. First, let's, let's look at the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am, and that's that, again, that, that phrase, that, that pattern he's used, I am, it's a redundant phrase, I am that I am, I am Yahweh, and what is Yahweh like? A, he is a true vine. Now, this is not just for uh, metaphor's sake, there's some background, there's some richness to the metaphor of a vine in the Bible. And as Jesus is speaking to these Jewish men who had the Old Testament, this would bring actually many, many scriptures to mind of what does it mean to be a, a vine? What is a vine? Every other time in the Old Testament, when a vine was brought up, it was a, it was a, a metaphor for Israel. Israel, the people of God, were, were called the vine that were, were planted by Yahweh. And, and yet, in every case, when God uses that metaphor through a prophet in the Old Testament, he is expressing disappointment in the lack of fruit of his vine. Every time that metaphor is used, he is speaking of, man, this vine has not borne fruit. This vine has not done what it is supposed to do. What does a vine exist for? Well, uh, uh, if you were to go plant a a vine, you, you know, you do a good amount of work and you dig it up and you get good soil and you do the fertilizer and you get some kind of trellis and, and you care for it and you wait for all these seasons and, and finally, what's your expectation of this vine? What, what do you want? Well, you want fruit. You want the fruit of the vine. Yet Israel never bore the fruit it was supposed to bear. It was a disappointment. To the to the the vine dresser, the one who planted the vine. And here Jesus shows up, and what does he say? I am the true vine. I have come, and I will do what Israel was supposed to do. And what was Israel supposed to do? What was the fruit? That Israel was called to do well all the way back from Abraham the first one he was to be he was he was given special care he was up uprooted so to speak from his home and he was transplanted by Yahweh and promised uh, uh, this this good fertile land that would bear milk and honey for what purpose he would be blessed to bless the nations so that that when people would see the people of Israel, they would recognize, man, this is a people blessed by God. There's something special about this nation. There's something special about these people. Why, does, why are they so blessed? Why are they so fruitful? And that would lead people to the, the God of Israel. Well, because we belong to Yahweh. We bear fruit for Yahweh. We can, we can tell you the way of salvation of the forgiveness of sins, of being included in the people of God. That was the purpose of Israel. And Israel largely failed to fulfill their mission, their call to bear fruit. And so Christ comes and he says, I, I am the true vine. I love later in Revelation, he says, I am the root of David. If there was any fruit in Israel, it came because of me. I am the true vine. I am the one. I have come to bear fruit for my father. I am the true vine. And then he goes on to introduce the second character, the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. And what he's essentially saying is this. This is my father's world. This world belongs to God. All that exists, exists because of God. He created everything. He planted everything. You are sitting in this chair because the vine dresser saw fit that you would exist on this planet. The the way life is, is there is a, a vine dresser who is responsible for all that there is. It is his world. And then he says, and then there's these branches. And every person who has ever existed is included here. There, there are two types of branches, two types of people. W- what is life like? Well, there's, there's God, and there's the vine, and then there's these branches, two types of branches. He, he begins in uh, verse two, there's branches that do not bear fruit, and then there are branches that do bear fruit. What is the world like? When God looks at the world, if he's thinking through it, through this metaphor, you have fruitful branches, you have unfruitful branches. It, it can be a little confusing because in verse two, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, pr- he takes away. People have said, well, does that mean you could have like fruitful Christians and unfruitful Christians? And if you don't bear fruit, then you're, you're cut off and you're taken away. And as verse six goes on to say, you're going you're to be cut off and withered and thrown into the fire and burned? Is that what happens to Christians if they don't bear fruit? No, that's not w- what he is saying here. He is, and, and this is helpful. When we see, ex- again, we talked about if there's if there's a passage in scripture, like, well, what does this really mean? And how do I know what it means? Well, we think through its context immediately and then we we start working our way out. And as we will go on to see, every branch that is in Christ will bear fruit. And so this is is often when w- w- we're, we're talking thinking through parables. We need to be really careful when we're thinking through details. So every branch in me, essentially what is happening here metaphorically is in that metaphor, branches aren't just gonna exist floating somewhere. He, he's saying every, you, you have branches that are bearing fruit and you have branches that are not bearing fruit. So if you, if you take a couple more chapters back, we, we ought to think about, well, who could, has there ever been someone that looked like they were following Jesus that was not fruitful, and will be cut off and thrown away. If you can recall, in just, just John chapter 13, there was Judas, and he appeared, he, he, his feet were washed by Jesus. All intents and purposes, if you were to look at the group of followers of Jesus, you would look at Judas and be like, he's in Christ, he's following Jesus, he's a branch in Jesus. And yet, as we know, his heart was not right before God and he will go on to betray Christ and he will be cut off he will commit suicide and he's called the son of perdition we can know he was not saved and then if you think about the biggest context we'll think about Israel as the vine there were these Israelites who would say I belong to Yahweh I'm in the I'm I'm an Israelite I belong here but what Christ is saying is, you can have Jewish people, ethnically Jewish, and maybe they went through all the rituals of worship and sacrifices, who, who didn't really love God. They were not truly in the vine. Externally, it certainly looked like they were, but if they will not bear fruit, they will be cut off and thrown away. Yahweh is willing to cut off even Jews who had no faith in him. That's pretty much the message of John the Baptist. He shows up and he says, oh, you guys want to get baptized? You want to go through all the, the rituals? He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, Are you, if you're really repenting and you want to show that by baptism, where's your fruit? And he says, the ax is laid at the base of the tree. Any tree that's not bearing fruit will be cut down. That's what Christ means here by every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He has in mind Judas. He has in mind the nation of Israel. He has in mind this metaphor here of those that look like they should be bearing fruit, yet there's no fruit to be found. So we see there's branches that don't bear fruit, that will be cut down, that will be burned. And then there are branches that do bear fruit. These branches would be Christians. These, these branches would be ones who would belong to Christ and are found in Christ. And I want us to notice a few things here. He says in verse two, every branch that does bear fruit, what does God do? What does the vine dresser do? Well, he prunes those branches. You know, uh, it's often said, if something's not broken, don't fix it, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's not, that's not exactly the way God the Father thinks about the Christian life. If you are growing in Christ and you love Christ and and you're you're bearing more fruit than you've ever born in your life, when when the vine dresser looks at you, do you know what he thinks? All right, where do I got to prune? How do I make this thing more fruitful? What needs to go? What can be cut away? What is maybe even it could bear fruit one day? But it's sapping the strength from this larger area that really ought to be bearing more fruit. And so God the Father, excuse me, looks at his fruitful branches. And what does he do? But he prunes these branches. And then I want us to notice verse 3. If you just read it, especially in the esv that we study through it can feel kind of like really out of place what are you saying jesus already you are clean clean what i thought we're talking about a vineyard and branches and pruning and now you're speaking about being clean because of the word he spoke to you Um, this is one of those times where uh, sometimes a translation cannot adequately perfectly show us what is going on in the original that word clean is actually literally the same root word for the word prune. Uh, The word prune in verse two is a verb, and when it shows up in verse three, it's an adjective. That's the only difference, but it's the same word. So it, it could just as well be translated, already you are pruned. Already you are pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. One more fun note, if you remember in John 13, what did Jesus do to display his love for his disciples? He washed their feet then he goes on to tell Peter already you are clean it's the same word again it's the same word for prune it's the it's this idea in, in the translators kind of had to pick one or the other to help us see the connections but the picture is to so cut something that it's clean everything uh, unnecessary or dirty or unfruitful has been cleaned off it's been like if you look at a tree that's been pruned it's like man that thing has been cleaned off it's been everything unnecessary has been shaved away and so what he's saying in verse 3 is already, to, he's saying now to his disciples, already you are clean, already you are pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, I want us to think on this for a minute. The vine dresser, the father, loves his children. He loves you if you are in Christ so much. And he wants you to bear fruit for him so much he will actively pursue your life and pursue anything in your life that is not bearing fruit, that is weighing you down. It may not even be sin. Again, the metaphor with pruning, if you've ever seen something that's pruned, you're, you're like, what a shame. Man, that thing was beautiful and big and fruitful and now it just looks like like mutilated. Um, th- Amy Carmichael was a, a, a well-known missionary. She went to India uh, for 56 years never came home for a furlough never got married and she had an incredibly fruitful life and ministry she when she was describing John 15 she said something to the effect of what a shame it is when you look at a tree or a vine and it's been pruned all the beautiful leaves just laying there on the ground what a waste what a shame we we often want to say that about that plant but she says but the father loves us so much That he does not remove anything. Let's see if I can say it the way as well she did. That it would not be gain to lose and loss to keep. It looks like what a shame. But the father loves you so much that he says it is gain for you to lose this thing in your life. It is gain for you to have that removed. And listen, if I left it there, you would have lost because of it. It would be loss for you to have that thing, that person, that habit in your life. And so pruning often comes through pain and frustration and loss. And yet this vine dresser is sovereignly orchestrating our life and our circumstances and even our suffering, especially our suffering, to prepare us for pruning. But but notice one more thing in verse 3. It is not just circumstances that God uses to prune us. There is a specific tool in the Father's hand, in the vine dresser's hand, that he uses to execute that final pruning. Do you notice what it is in verse 3? Already you are pruned. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Circumstances like if you picture a literal vine, seasons may soften us, may batter us, may beat us, may make us tender, but it's the word of God in the careful hands of the father, of the vine dresser that he brings along and it's those sharp edges of the word that he applies to our lives to prune us. He may allow something really difficult to happen in our life, but that's not, in, it's not in, in inherently pruning. The pruning is when the word of God does its work on you and in you. When the word of God convicts you, when the word of God brings up this whole area of your life that needs to go, this whole sin, this, this whole corner of your heart you didn't even know existed, and the word of God just begins to shave that away day day. By day, that's the, the love of the Father for you, as He allows circumstances, and then finally the Word of God to shave and prune us, that we would bear fruit for Him. And again, if if we are not bearing fruit, the picture is clear: not we're, th- th- an unfruitful branch is not just lightly, carefully pruned. That thing is 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 taken away it's chopped off and thrown away but but for those who belong to the vine dresser for those who are in christ something entirely different is going on the the love of the father is pruning us for our good and for his glory so first we see the nature of life that's the way life works next we're going to see the call to life and and here christ is saying because that's the way it works because I'm going to make a home for you, and you're going to have, a, we're going to come make our home in you, and and now I want you to make your home in me. I, I'll, here's what you are to do. Verses one through three are just the way it is. This is the way God, the Father, has ordained life to be. Verses four through seven is the call to life. This is the command. This is the application. This is what am I to do? What is being a Christian like? What's the essence of Christianity? What's the the one? thing I ought to be giving my attention to as a Christian. And Jesus explains that in verses 4 through 7. Let's look at these verses together. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here Jesus is giving us a a picture form, a metaphor, for the greatest commandment. The one thing necessary for the Christian life, he is summing it all up Uh, to to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If if you remember uh, the story of Mary and Martha, and, and, and Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha was off serving him and busy and distracted by all kinds of things, Jesus told Martha, Mary has got it right. There's one thing necessary for a Christian, and Mary's got it right. Jesus sums all of that teaching up with this one metaphor, really this one word, abide, abide in me. And there's three kind of aspects of what it means and looks like to abide. I mean, first of all, that word, that word means to make your home, to remain, to stay. It, has a, it can be used in two ways, and both are instructive. It has a, a time application, like, stay put for a long time. And it has a physical a- uh, a- application. Stay, stay put in one place. Has this time application and this intentional draw near to this place. Stay put for a long time is what it means to abide. To stay put in one place for a long time. I'll confess you know, I've been um, trying to read through the Bible every year. I love the, the McShane reading plan that we go through. I've been doing that for almost a decade now. But here's my temptation. I'm the kind of person, I'll get the job done. I'll abide in Christ, I'll get it done. But it's the time one that is a, is a struggle for me personally. I, I can draw near to God and, and check the box and get it done and read the reading. But my heart... I can act like Mary, but my heart 's like martha i 'm i 'm just thinking how quick can I get this done? How can I finish my duty of abiding so that I can actually go get the work done? That is what i 'm prone to. Others of us may be prone to just, yeah, I know I, I should do it, but i don 't know if i 'm just going to do the, the task of just sitting down and reading my Bible, sitting down and praying, sitting down and doing what Christ has called me to do, coming. To church every Lord's Day, no matter how I'm feeling, I'm just, I'm going to obey him. Some of us need to slow our hearts down and some of us need to simply do it. It has this call to consciously draw near to something for a long time. That is what it means to abide in Christ, to draw near to Jesus and be with him for a long time. It is not count to abide to just do a quick check-in and a high-five and you head out. You you came to the right place, but not for the the right time. To abide means this unhurried remaining. Uh, We see it in the life of Jesus. The most busy, fruitful, on-demand person who ever lived would get away, and, and we see him doing it often, at night or in the morning, simply because that's just when, you know, everyone else is busy sleeping, that he can go have unhurried time with his father. He also gives us some clarity. What does it practically look like in verse 7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it means to let his words linger in us in us one place for a long time to to let his word just simmer in us psalm 1 speaks of what it is to to meditate upon the word of god that word meditate can literally mean to mutter or to chew it's just to keep chewing keep muttering keep going running over these verses letting them sit and marinate and stew in us to you know Oftentimes when we think of Christianity or maybe it's evangelism or maybe it's um, building a ministry, we're like, how do we get the word of God to work? What do we got to do to figure out how the word of God is going to like sell? How do, how do I convince this unbeliever of the truth of the word? How do I m- make sure that we're making all of this stuff externally good so that the word will work? But that's the backwards way of thinking. The word does the work. The word has the power to do its work. What we need to do is to let it do its work, to put ourselves in the presence of the thing that does the work, to, to let the word dwell in us richly. The word works. It's us that are so distracted and, and are, are looking to other things for our spiritual life or for our evangelism or whatever it may be. The word does the work. It is our job To consciously, for a long time, let the word do its work. Let the word abide in us. And then finally, he goes on to say, here's one more way. It's it's to consciously draw near to me for a long time. It's to let my word do its work in you, abide in you, make its home in you. And then finally, he speaks of prayer. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you to abide is to be so transformed by being with Jesus and near to Jesus and his word is doing its work in us that now we are the kind of people that ask for whatever it is that would please Christ and is in accordance with his will and with his word and we will be so transformed such that we will ask things that are guaranteed to happen because we're asking for God's will to be done. We're, our prayers, we will be so changed and transformed that as we, as we then begin to pray, our prayers will be guaranteed fruitful and effective because we have been abiding in Christ. And so to abide in Christ means... And I love this. In, in verse three, he said, already you are clean. What he's saying as he's speaking to disciples is already you, you, already you have been drawn, you've been attached, you've been, what's the word when you take a plant and put it in another one? You've been grafted in. Already you've been clean. Already you have your life in Christ. That's been the work of the vine dresser. That's by grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. Already you're saved. But here's what I want you to do keep coming back, keep drawing near to the source. We we can be so prone to be like, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm I'm good now. But what he's saying is keep coming back to your source, to Christ, to the one that you are finding your life in. Keep consciously drawing near to me. That is the call of the Christian life. That's the secret, if you will, to a fruitful Christian life to draw near to Jesus. Listen, we will, if we are in Christ, we will be saved. We will bear fruit. But there is some conditionality to our fruitfulness, and as we're gonna see next week, to our joy, and as we're gonna see in verse eight, to our assurance. Those things, those fruit, that all of that goodness comes as we abide in Christ. As the more we abide in Christ the more fruitful we will be. The more we abide in Christ, the more joyful we will be. The more we abide in Christ, the more his word will prune away whatever needs to go. And so by the grace of God, already we are clean. Already we are in Christ. If, if you have trusted in Christ, already you, are, you have been, you've, you've been made alive in him. But the call, the command, the application of the Christian life is to keep drawing near to jesus and then jesus sums up really verses one through seven the purpose of it all the whole point and we're going to see is our third point the purpose of life we've seen the nature of life we've seen the call to life now the purpose of it all is found in verse eight and let's just read it by this my father is glorified what's the point of it all that we would glorify the Father. Why do we draw near to Jesus? Why do we want to bear fruit? Why do we want to be effective and have the word doing its work in us? For the glory of God. And, and it's the particular way God loves to be glorified. As he goes on to finish, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. I love in verse uh, Isaiah 43.7, I want to read that for us. Isaiah speaks of why you were created. In, in, in one verse, why was I created? Isaiah 43.7, he's speaking of those he would save, and he says, everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory. You were created by God. For him, for his glory. And not only were we created for his glory, and a few chapters later, Isaiah 48, verse 9, he says this, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. Not only were you created for God's glory, you were saved for God's glory. You are a Christian. You are in Christ to bring glory to God. We are created for his glory and we were saved for his glory. And and he is particularly glorified as you find your life in Christ and abide in Christ. And as you do that, you will bear much fruit. As you let the Father prune you with his word and as you are consciously drawing near to Christ, near to his word and and seeking him and, and requesting his fruitfulness in your life through prayer, you will bear much fruit. And I, I was struck and convicted this week that I was studying, man, what does it mean to bear fruit for God? I want to be fruitful. Who doesn't want to bring glory to God and bear fruit for God? What does it look like to bear fruit? Well, I was, I was convicted that to bear fruit is not defined by the world's standards. And honestly, that's how I think about it. What is it to bear fruit? What does a fruitful Christian, what does a fruitful family, what does a fruitful church look like? Well, it's not the way the world thinks. We can be so shaped and transformed and conformed to the standards of this world that we think, oh yeah, a fruitful life. God would be glorified if this, this, and this happens. That's the way the world thinks. What, how, does, how does God define fruitfulness? And briefly, I have one, two, three, four, five, six ways explicitly that the, the Bible speaks of what true fruit is. If you are abiding in Christ and his word is doing its work in you, what does fruitfulness look like? Well, first, it's spiritual fruit. Remember the fruit of the spirit? What is fruit in the Christian life? Galatians 5:22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we abide in Christ and the vine dresser is pruning our lives, we will bear that kind of fruit. The world scoffs at that kind of fruit. The world makes fun of that kind of fruit, but that is true fruit. Another way the Bible defines fruit is worship worship. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says this: Through him, that's through Christ, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. If you are in Christ, you will be growing in singing and praises coming off of your lips that is fruit that is the fruit of one that can acknowledge the name of christ has saved me and so i will acknowledge and i will offer a sacrifice of praise to god another way the bible defines fruit is by meeting other people's needs in particular meeting christians needs meeting the needs of the saints This We could go endless verses, one verse in Romans 15, 28. And I'm going to read this in the NASB translation. The context is Paul is thanking, he's acknowledging another church, the church in Macedonia, for giving to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And this is how he describes it. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs... I will go on by way of you to Spain. What he is saying is when a Christian meets the financial needs of another Christian, that is fruit. That is true fruit as a Christian is caring for another Christian. That is one of our our prayers as, as our church is just young and and, it, you know, it's, it's exciting, and oh, man, praise God for all that's going on, that, that we would so know one another and know the needs of one another. We would know who's sick or having a, a baby or who, who has a, a practical need or a financial need or whatever it may be, and that, that we would be bearing the fruit of knowing and caring for one another. Another fruit is holiness. Again, so many verses, but I'll read Hebrews twelve eleven. And I love the connection here because he's speaking of the discipline that the father gives to his children. Very similar to the the, the pruning that the vine dresser gives to the vine. What's the, the point of that? Well, it says, for the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then I think I said six, but I only have five now as I'm looking here. The last one, the last one is, is the fruit of leading others to Christ, the fruit of conversions, the fruit of seeing other people learn about Christ and come to Christ through your life. Paul speaks of this in Romans 1, 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you. That he would reap a harvest, that that there would be fruit to to be had. As Jesus said, the the fields are, are white or ripe for the harvest. So the desire of one who has been with Christ is that others would come to know Christ. This, that is true fruit. That is what a fruitful Christian life looks like. Oh, and then you could add this as the sixth one. W- one byproduct as he, as he mentions it in verse eight. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and then here it is, and so prove to be my disciples. That's a, a word that has often been described by, um, by the word assurance. That you would know that you know that you are in Christ, that you would have confidence in your heart, I belong to Jesus. I know that I know that I'm his. John would go on to write uh, 1 John as a letter, and this is really the goal of that letter is that Christians would know that they would have assurance, that they would know that they belong to Christ. Well, the way to assurance, the way out of doubting and just this, as it's been called this morbid introspection is to abide in christ to focus on christ to have his word dwelling in us and the, the the work of the word on us such that as we we will see fruit in our life spiritual fruit and, and it will just be evident to ourselves and to others man that person is a fruitful branch because they are abiding in jesus not because of someone's giftedness or their personality or their external resources it's because they have this life that comes from Christ so I want to close by just asking every one of us what kind of branch are you do you need pruning and and further abiding or or do you need life itself what kind of branch are you? What is your life displaying? What is there fruit? Praise God, then continue to abide and submit to the pruning work of the Father. If, if you feel like I am not alive, like I'm just like longing for nutrients, for satisfaction, for belonging, for purpose, then you may be that dead branch that Christ is speaking of. And I just want to close by reminding us all of this incredible fact that Christ, as he describes himself as the true vine, he came first to dwell among us, to make his home this planet for a a real lifetime. He came, God became a man, the second member of the Trinity left heaven, and he tabernacled, he came to be a person. And for what purpose? Well, if you think through the vine metaphor, he ended his life being cut off. He was cut off. He was cut off like as he warns, if you are not bearing fruit, you will be cut off. You will be cut off and burned. When Christ came to dwell among us, he went to the cross and he was spiritually and truly cut off from his Father in his flesh, and he drank the fruit of the cup of the wrath of God. He drank the most bitter cup imaginable, the wrath of God against sin, against every person's sin who would ever trust in him. Why would he do that? Well, that's why we celebrate communion, so that we could find life in him, so that we would not fear being cut off for all eternity from life. If if we have been unfruitful, if we are longing for life, we ought to look to Christ who, who himself allowed his own life to be cut off on the cross so that whoever would come to him and trust in him would find life, would find true life, satisfying life, would find the father all of a sudden caring for us. We're no, no longer threatened when we see the, the vine dresser coming our way with a big, sharp shear in his hand. We're no longer afraid, man, is he gonna cut me off? Is God, Does God gonna, is he gonna destroy me? No, we don't fear that. He is, he is now the vine dresser who cares for us. He is a father who loves us and loves us enough to to continue to mold us and make us and shave us so that we would bear, bear more fruit in Christ. And so whoever we are in this parable, in this picture, um, I want to invite us all to do what Christ has said is to come to him, to abide in him. As we worship him, as we take communion, and even as we go, to make that, 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 that one thing necessary in our minds, that, that I would abide in Christ. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus, we thank you for your word and for your care for your people. Again, this was hours before you would be cut off, hours before you would drink the bitter cup of the wrath of God, before you would lay down your life as a sacrifice for sinners. And yet you cared enough for your disciples and for us to encourage us, to give us this picture, this metaphor that we can think through every single day. Lord, we do all need life and sustenance. We all want to be have a fruitful life. And so Spirit of God, would you take these words, would they do their work on us and in us now? Father, would you care for us as you care for a, a branch of a vine? Would you prune and shave away if there is some dead branches in here would you so graft them pick them up and graft them into Christ today that we would find life that we would bear fruit that we would glorify you and that we would know that we are truly the disciples of Jesus